Hello and welcome to Books by Old Dead Guys. I'm David. And I am Scott. And this is episode number 53. We are moving through uh, Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices by Thomas Brooks. Uh, And Scott is going to catch us up on where we are in Precious Remedies. So we're clipping on through here. We're we're on, if you bought a copy that we use, we're using the Banner of Truth copy. I think there's going to be a link to how to purchase it in the show notes. And we have some, if you're a member of our church, we have some in the church library as well. We're here on page 28, and we have been walking through um, the the third device of Satan, which is the extenuating and lessening of sin. In other words, David, he's just trying to, to say that one of the things that we can do is to not take our sin seriously enough, to make kind of light of it, mm. and uh, to not think of it in categories that the Lord thinks about sin. And so he is... Um, He's given us some remedies to that. We've done five so far. Uh, the very last one that we actually left off with last time was the 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 links to which the saints of old would go mm. in order to not sin. And that if we see these saints that have gone before us go to such great effort to not commit sin, then shouldn't we also go to great effort to not commit sin? So that's kind of where we left off. If you want to... Pick up on remedy number six. Yeah, remedy six. The sixth remedy against this device of Satan is seriously to consider that the soul is never able to stand under the guilt and weight of the least sin when God shall set it home upon the soul. The least sin will press and sink the stoutest sinner as low as hell. Mm. When God shall open the eyes of a sinner and make him see the horrid filthiness and abominable vileness that is in sin. What so little base and vile creatures as lice or gnats, and yet by these little poor creatures God so plagued stout-hearted Pharaoh and all Egypt, that fainting under it they were forced to cry out, This is the finger of God. When little creatures, yea, the least creatures, shall be armed with a power from God, they shall press and sink down the greatest, proudest, and stoutest tyrants that breathe. So when God shall cast a sword into the hand of a little sin and arm it against the soul, the soul will faint and fall under it. Some who have but projected adultery without any actual acting it And others, having found a trifle and made no conscience to restore it, knowing by the light of natural conscience that they did not do as they would would be done by, and others that have had some unworthy thought of God have been so frightened, amazed, and terrified for those sins which are in small men's account, are small in men's accounts, that they have wished they had never been that they could take no delight in any earthly comfort, that they have been put to their wit's end, ready to make away themselves, wishing themselves annihilated. William Perkins mentions a good man, but very poor, who being ready to starve, stole a lamb, and being about to eat it with his poor children, and as his manner was a fore meat to crave a blessing, Durst not to do it, durst not do it, but fell into a great 
perplexity of conscience and acknowledged his fault to the owner, promising payment if ever he should be able. Hmm. Yeah, so it's it's basically what he's saying is just consider that when when the Lord really brings conviction into your life of this small little sin, you're not really going to be able to hold up under the weight of that conviction. Mm. You know, that, that, that in the Christian life, sin brings conviction. It's either a now or a later. Yeah. It, it's best if it's now <laughs> so that we can go ahead and be freed from it so that we can go ahead and, you know, and, and have our consciences cleaned. But, but, but sometimes it's later, and when it's later, it's not going to matter how big it is. It's just going to, it's like the Holy Spirit's just sticking his finger in your gut going, this thing, this thing, mm. this thing. And then you start to see it for exactly what it is. I loved the illustration of the lice or gnats of Pharaoh. Mm. You know, that one gnat is not so bad. Like, you can kind of deal with one gnat. Problem with gnats. Is they don't just, they don't just come as one. They don't come in ones. They do not. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. So that's good. That was helpful. Yeah, that's a that's a helpful illustration in a, a South Carolina summer day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. So remedy seven. The seventh remedy against this device is solemnly to consider that there is more evil in the least sin than in the greatest affliction. And this appears as clear as the sun by the severe dealing of God the Father with his beloved son who let all the vials of his fiercest wrath upon him, and that for the least sin as well as for the greatest. The wages of sin is death, of sin indefinitely, whether great or small. Oh, how should this make us tremble as much as at the least spark of lust as at hell itself, considering that God the Father would not spare his bosom son, No, not for the least sin, but would make him drink the dregs of his wrath. And so much for the remedies that may fence and preserve our souls from being drawn to sin by this third device of Satan. Hmm. Okay. Hmm. So, he says the the last remedy he puts for the lessening of sin is to consider that there's more evil in the least of sins than in the greatest affliction. In other words, if if you have to be willing to endure affliction for the sake of resisting sin, yeah, think of Jesus. If your right hand offends you, cut it off. Cut it off and throw it in the fire, for it's better to go to heaven with one hand than to go whole into the in hell. And you know, as a truth, you know, Jesus is not saying that if you cut a physical part of your part of your body off, you actually go to heaven without that physical part of your body. <laughs> yes. he's, he's making he's he's using hyperbole, like yes. he's using very serious language just to say sin is that serious that you mm-hmm. should be willing to to endure affliction for the sake of resisting temptation. Yeah. And and so what Brooks is saying is you're better off with that suffering, with the suffering that comes from affliction, mm-hmm. than you are with the suffering that comes from a poison conscience because yeah. you've tolerated sin. Yeah. And the proof that Brooks cites is that Christ died. Christ Christ was crucified for the least sins as well as for the greatest ones. Mm-hmm. That even the least sins were, were, were enough to have God the Father pour out his wrath on his only son. Yep. So I think it's so neat in our in our congregation, which I would assume that a lot of the people that are listening to this podcast are 
members of our congregation were literally in Romans 5 and Romans 6. And so as he says, wages of sin is death. Dude, that's almost where we are. We, we would have just, <laughs> I think by this time, just finished the section that talks about the original sin of Adam and how all of us sin. And we know this because all of us die. And, and so, you know, when you get to Romans 6, he says the wages of sin is death. That's really just improving what he's already said. But the warning there is, man, all sin is serious mm. and, and you're better avoiding it. Always better avoiding it. So, well, that was good. Well, let's see. I wonder if there are any other devices that Thomas Brooks has oh, in mind for us. Sure enough. Device really? number four. Okay. By presenting to the soul the best men's sins, and by hiding from the soul their virtues, by showing the soul their sins, and by hiding from the soul their sorrows and repentance, as by setting before the soul the adultery of David, the pride of Hezekiah, the impatience of Job, the drunkenness of Noah, the blasphemy of Peter, etc., and by hiding from the soul the tears, the sighs, the groans, the meltings, the humblings, the mm. repentings of these precious souls. Okay, so let me tell you what I think he's getting at, and you can tell me what you think he's getting at. I think what he's saying, and, and I'm sure we're going to hear this as we walk through the remedies, but it's mm-hmm. really important to set the device of the mind rightly, is I think of it like, you know, there's a common, it's a common way we talk about the fact that God loves and cares for, you know, anyone who would repent and believe the gospel. And you, you hear, well, Moses was a murderer and David was an adulterer. And we reduce these things down to these one sentence things, you know, and mm-hmm. Peter betrayed Jesus. Well, yes. Those are true those statements. Are true, and they were received through repentance. You know, you read Psalm 51, clearly David was, was absolved and forgiven. Mm-hmm. You know, Peter clearly, you know, Jesus is sitting on the beach with him and he, he forgives him and he sends him off with the commission to, to basically lead, you know, to feed the sheep. And so, you know, you see those things, but what, what we don't consider in those small little trite stories is the repentance and the sorrow that's mm-hmm. involved in those actions. Mm-hmm. I think I think that's what he's saying. And I've not read this paragraph before. What do you think, David? Yeah, I think you're right on. I think there's a temptation because the Bible does not does not um, sugarcoat any of its characters. Mm-hmm. The, the Bible does not stri- stray away from giving us an accurate picture of who these people were in their in their flaws and in their triumphs. Yep. And so it's it's sometimes tempting for us to look on these characters and think think things like, well, if he can be forgiven for that, surely I can be forgiven for hmm. whatever is tempting me in this moment. Mm-hmm. And that, yeah. that that is a that is a yeah, that's good. That is a work. Of, that is a device of the of the, the enemy. One. Yeah, which is exactly what Brooks yeah. is saying. Is is you know Brooks is trying to pro- is trying to protect us from that that idea of. Well, if God forgave them of this, he'll, surely he'll forgive me of this yeah. thing that I want to do, I'm about to do. As though we're giving ourselves permission for violating the law of God. Exactly. Yeah, Incidentally, <laughs> I have I am so thankful for him talking about the impatience of Job. That one stuck out to me. I love yeah. that because we have we have made Job out to be a very patient person. Mm-hmm. And I have a theory that says anybody who really thinks that Job was a patient person may not have necessarily read the book of Job very carefully. Mm. Because when you read Job, I think if Job were sitting right here between us, David, 
<laughs> Here's what I think he would say. I think he would say, the book of Job is not about the patience of Job. The book of Job is about the patience of God mm. Mm. in the midst of the impatience of Job. Mm. Right? Like, I think... I think you're. I think you think people are right, and that it's a book of patience. Yeah, but <laughs> they just attribute it to the wrong person. A little misplaced yeah. where the patience lies. So I just love that because you don't read that. You know, contem- I haven't read a contemporary work that talks about the fact that Job was impatient. Mm. But man, I mean, by the time you get to the end of, you know, the third kind of the third round of the accusations that his friends are making, he's not a patient man. I mean, mm. when he looks at when he looks at. Then he says, surely, you know, your words are like, you know, your words to the wind of, a, you know, of a person who's hurting. Like, clearly you are the fountainhead of wisdom and wisdom will die with you. Like, you know, and he's not super patient he's right not. there. <laughs> and he's kind of done. Yeah, that, that sarcasm does kind of bite, actually. He really, it really does. And, <laughs> you know, so anyway, that's, that's just an aside. But I just love that he mm. brought that out. Yeah. All right. Remedy number one. The first remedy against this device of Satan is seriously to consider that the Spirit of the Lord hath been as careful to note the saints rising by repentance out of sin as he hath to note their falling into sins. David fails fearfully, but but by repentance he rises sweetly, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation. It is true, Hezekiah's heart was lifted up under the abundance of mercy that God had cast in upon him. And it is as true that Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart, Mm. so that the wrath of the Lord came not upon him, nor upon Jerusalem in the days of Hezekiah. It is true, Job curses the day of his birth. And it is as true that he rises by repentance. Behold, I am vile, saith he. What shall I answer thee? I will lay my hand upon my mouth. Once have I spoken, but I will not answer. Yea, twice, but I will proceed no further. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Peter fails dreadfully, but rises by repentance sweetly. A look of love from Christ melts him into tears. He knew that repentance was the key to the kingdom of grace, as once his faith was so great that he leapt, as it were, into a sea of waters to come to Christ. So now his repentance was so great that he leapt, as it were, into a sea of tears, for that he had gone from Christ. Some say that after his sad fall, he was ever and anon weeping, and that his face was ever even furrowed with continual tears. He had no sooner took in poison, but he vomited it up again, ere it got to the vitals. He had no sooner handled this serpent, but he turned it into a rod to scourge his soul with remorse for sinning against such clear light and strong love and sweet discoveries of the heart of Christ to him. 
Clement notes that Peter so repented that all his life after, every night when he heard the cock crow, he would fall upon his knees and weeping bitterly would beg pardon for his sin. Ah, souls, you can easily sin as the saints, but can you repent with the saints? Many can sin with David and Peter that cannot repent with David and Peter and so must perish forever. Theodosius, the emperor, pressing that he might receive the Lord's Supper, excuses his own foul act by David's doing the like, to which Ambrose replies, Thou hast followed David's transgressing. Follow David repenting, and then think thou of the table of the Lord. Mm. Good man. Dude, okay, that's a good (laughs) section, man. That's a, oh boy, oh boy. Wow. All right, so his, uh, his his main point there, I think his his driving point there is, yes, you can sin like the saints that we see in the Scriptures, but can you repent like the saints we see in the Scriptures? That's yes. really the, the driving question of, yes, you, you can sin like David sinned. You can sin like Peter sinned, but are you going to repent like David repented? Are you going to repent like Peter repented? Yep. You repent like Job? I love, again, you know, you think about, we talk about the patience of Job, but what does he say at the conclusion of the Lord's message to him? He says, I repent in dust and ashes, which means what? I have sinned. And God doesn't say, no, no, Job, you've been super patient this whole time. Thank you for your exemplifying patience. Nope. He receives his repentance and then offers, and then Job is told to offer sacrifice for himself and for his friends so that someday mm. maybe, so they may also be forgiven, right? So you know, mm. you can see Job foreshadowing Christ at the end of the book of Job. Why? Because Job repented. I mean, if Job were here, if Peter were here, if David were here, I think all of them would say, don't do this. Don't do this. Like, like God may have used this. Don't do this. Mm-hmm. Just avoid it. And I think that's what Brooks is going for, right? Yes, absolutely. When we sin, we will be forgiven. But first... Let's just try really hard to not sin. How about that? (laughs) And then when we do, we must repent like these people did, right? Mm -hmm. Repentance was the key to the kingdom of grace. What a great sentence, man. Yes. That will be stolen and used in a sermon. (laughs) I will attribute Brooks to it, but I will definitely use it. Yes. Yes. And I I love just the question. You can easily sin as the saints, but but can can you repent with with the the saints? saints? Yes. That's such a a backhanded question. I love it, man. Yeah. And then he he even gives this example of this this emperor who wanted to take the Lord's Supper. Apparently Ambrose was telling him that he could not because he was an adulterer, to which he replied, I'm sure, thinking that he... Had had Ambrose dead to rights. Well, well, David was an adulterer. (laughs) And Ambrose looks him straight in the face and says, well, you followed David in transgressing. Now follow him to repenting. Love that. You know, it goes back, we talked in the beginning of the book about the courage of Brooks, but can you imagine, man, being Ambrose? Like, you're standing here eyeball to eyeball with With the the emperor. emperor. Like the most powerful man in the world, period. Yes, yes. And he's... No no rivals to his scale. And he's like, I want to take the Lord's Supper, and you just go, no, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) 
You got to repent. You got to repent. You're telling the most powerful man in the world that he has to repent. You better believe you are, yeah. because the, the the king's heart is like streams of water in the hands of the Lord, mm-hmm. right? You, you, Ambrose knew he wasn't going to be accountable to Theodosius when he was dead. <laughs> Indeed. So that's awesome. Indeed. Oh, good. Yeah. One of the one of the nuggets I love that we're walking through church history in our equip class and the on Sunday mornings because those are just full of those nuggets of just yeah. great courage and and just great uh, just some sometimes there are people in church history that just put things in such a way that is exceptionally clear and undeniable yep. in a way that you just it, it, you find it harder to find. In the current day, yep, that they they just don't just don't mince words. They yep. they just don't gloss over the things that we're so tempted and so so used to glossing over. Yep, absolutely. Mm. Well, I guess that's as good a place as any to stop right mm. there, David. That was mm. that, that. This is going to be a fun one. Yeah, yeah I'm looking good. forward to next time. Well, thank you, friends, so much. We're so thankful that you could join us today and, and read along with uh, with Thomas Brooks. Just again, by way of reminder, if you'd like to buy the book and follow along with us, we'll have that in the show notes. You can follow and click and get that from Banner of Truth. We're thankful for your listening and hope that it has been a blessing to you. We'll talk again soon. Goodbye. <laughs>